Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. This is Zenith, that podcast that worked its way up to number two because this week we watched City at the Edge of the World. Written by Chris Boucher. Directed by Phil Lormer. And aired on February 11th, 1980. Technically Chris- correct is the co- best kind of correct because we are number two, I think, if you search us on iTunes. Yeah. For Blake 7. Yeah, if you search Blake 7 on iTunes, we are number two. Yeah! Yeah! That doesn't mean we have the number two number of listeners, though. That's I don't really know how iTunes orders those. Frankly. Also... Because, like, if you search for Flight Through Entirety, Trust Your Doctor comes up because we, yeah. like, have epi- we have their name in our episode right. titles. Right. Also, uh, I think the iTunes results, search results, are by region. Yeah, so if you're in Australia right now, you're probably scratching your head. Zenith is probably, like, number seven <laughs> in Australia. Maybe it's just number two in America, which would actually be kind of sad if we're just only number two in America, considering the we're American... We're the only American yeah. Blake Seven yeah. podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know. As far as I know. Because all the other ones are in Britain or... Or Australia. Or Australia. I think. Right. Yeah, I think they are. I don't know of any other ones that are in any other places. Yeah, well, go us, I guess. Regards to Doctor Who, we're still airing in that weird interseason era after Shada. After Shada? After Shada didn't show up for its court mandated appearance, <laughs> it skipped on bail and has fled the country. So, <laughs> City at the Edge of the World. Uh, City at the Edge of the World. The name of this story reminds me of the name of a classic Star Trek episode, which I'm almost 100% sure was completely intentional. The City at the Edge of Forever. So. Well, who knows? Who knows there? Who knows? But when you have a title that long and that similar, I really. It's highly it's improbable it, that yeah. it's. It's almost definitely a reference. Not a reference, to it. yeah. I've never right. watched City at the Edge of Forever, and actually. If I had planned this week better, which I didn't because I, I, I'm an idiot uh, and a lot of shit happened this week, which is why I watched this for the first time in my life the morning we're recording this. Oh, so did I, but not for the first time. <laughs> the first time I've ever done this. Typically, I finish it at least the night before. And I just, Anyway, as I was saying, if I had planned the, my week out better, I would have actually watched City at the Age of Forever so that I could make insightful uh, parallel parallels. parallels. Them. But I didn't, because like I said, this week was a, a shit show for most of it. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about that. This episode begins in the middle of a conversation between Villa and Tarrant. And Villa doesn't want to go down. Tarrant wants him to go down to a planet that Villa doesn't want to go down to. Yeah, we're just going to start right off here with my what would Blake do moment. <laughs> just right off the bat. I want to get it right out of the way. Also, because that reminds me that we need to do our quiz questions. I mean, th- yeah, this is the middle of the season. And as uh, as this, as seasons go on, I've noticed that we do this. We do a different thing every season. So first we did the awards and then we did the, uh, what did we do for Series B? The, the rankings. The rankings. And now we're doing what would Blake do. As the seasons go on, we tend to do them earlier and earlier in the episodes. Just to get them out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because here's the thing. I'm going to let you in on a little secret about how I come up with my What Would Blake Do moment. I come up... This is the same way, actually. Fun fact. I come up with titles for these episodes when I'm listening to them and editing them. I try to find the very first title that I can find or the very first What Would Blake moment do, and I, write, I, I, I memorize that. And then that way, later on, if I realize I've forgotten to come up with it or if I don't find anything better, I can revert to this wow. one I came up with in the first, like, 10 wow. minutes. <laughs> I, so I, I watch the whole episode and then decide... Oh, see, I like I, I like having it planned out. Like I said, that's also how I do titles for these podcast episodes. The first one I come up with, I, I write it down and then... Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I do too, because I'm not going to like listen to the entire episode and then... It's the, the uh, Richard, Richard Hammond in the club. Uh, there was an episode of Top Gear where they go to a car auction to buy cars to drive in a classic car uh-huh. rally and Richard Hammond just buys the very first car they put up. And Clarkson and May are like, what, what are you doing? He's like, this is what you do at the club. You find the first girl who's moderately attractive and you just take her home and get out of there. It's, that's what you do. You just one and done. You just find the first one and you go. One and done? Like that <laughs> fake <laughs> podcast we pretended to start on April Fool's? Oh, uh, well. Yeah, uh, so like we mentioned. Uh, we should start with our questions. Let's back yeah, up before yeah, we do We should the plot. start with the questions. Let's start with the questions. Uh, since I typically have always gone first, how about you take it first this <laughs> All right, week, Mine's Ian? pretty easy, so it's not a multiple-choice question. It's what did Bayban's mother call him as a child? Wow, that is not a difficult question. No, I know we it's all not. that one. Yeah. 
That's why there's no multiple choice answer for it. Well, so mine, <laughs> like the, the inverse of my what would Blake do moment comes way, way late in the episode. Uh, when the crew of the Liberator attack the planet, Babin's second in command comes running in to, to Babin. He's like, Sherm. Yeah, Sherm. And he's like, hey, Babin, we've only got blank number of people left. It's, it's like a fill in the blank question. Oh, God. That's actually fill in the number there. We only and have no blank. multiple choice for no, this? No, no. I'm just going to guess it's like six. <laughs> That's my guess. <laughs> it's the first number that came to mind. <laughs> I mean, to, to make it a little easier for the listener, I want to tell you, you're, you're actually not far off. You're actually oh, yeah. not far yeah, off. Yeah, I know. I know I'm not far off. No, you don't. You didn't know. You didn't know the onset. You don't know that you're not far off. I mean, you know now because I told you, but you didn't know. No, I'm not far off. Yeah. Anyway, now we can get to my what would Blake do moment, which is Blake would not send Villa down alone, or probably maybe not even at all, but for sure not alone. Blake is a master at just uh, undercutting everyone's plans. If someone's like, hey, I need you to come alone, Blake's like, all right, guys, here's the plan. We'll send them down alone, but we'll also beam in like a backup well, crew like five miles away. Well, Blake did blindly trust people a lot of the time. And also they did request Villa go down alone. They specifically requested Villa. I mean, yes, but even if he sent Villa down, I don't think he'd send him down alone. That was the one thing Blake would do. I mean, differently than, say, Avon here. Avon wants to put a tracker on Villa, but Blake would be like... Boys. Yeah, I could to- I could see Blake. You know, so they send Villa down, and then this the second he's teleported down, Blake's like, "All right, Callie, go down after him," or something like that. <laughs> Callie, go down and make sure he doesn't get himself killed, please. Which is essentially what actually happens, except a little more spread out than that. Well, when they realize that he didn't take the transmitter, yeah. But Villa's very hesitant to go down, but eventually, you know, he does. Well, because Tamant is like, look, nobody cares about you on the spaceship. If you don't go down, we're just going to throw you out. And then they do have all these discussions later on about how they don't care about Villa and that they just recognize his ability and stuff like that. Mostly from Avon. Well, because as, <laughs> as soon as Villa beams down, Avon's like, what'd you do to him, Tamant? He's like, I just scared him a little. And Avon's like, yeah, don't do that anymore. And he's like, why? He's like, well, because then I might kill you. He's like, what? Why? He's like, well, Villa's a very dear friend of mine, except he doesn't say it like that. He says, well, I just recognize Villa's talents. I mean, yeah, I don't really trust him, but you know, Villa has a lot of talents. Unlike you, space captains are replaceable, but master thieves, those are hard to find. Yeah, throughout all of this, there's some pretty good and interesting discussion here between uh, Avon, Tarrant, and Callie. Throughout all this, Dana is missing in action. She's cool. Dana is actually, I think, good later in this episode, but in this initial scene, she's just not there. She just kind of wanders into the end of it and is like, what's up, dudes? Yeah. And I don't necessarily... she gives Callie a gun. Right. I didn't like that too much because this, this, you know, this is written by Chris Boucher, so obviously it's like, you know, the dialogue's pretty good. And there's some pretty interesting stuff discussion-wise happening here, and Dana's just not a part of it. There's this one sick burn type thing. It's not actually a burn, but uh, Terrence, uh, Callie, uh, I think, questions why they sent Villa down with the transmitter and stuff like that, and... Or she questions something or the other. And Terrence says, do you like being helpless, Callie? She's like, I don't know. Never tried it. Yeah. I was like, That was a good one. Yeah. Terrence, I really liked how this episode just completely beats Terrence down. Yeah. Well, after (laughs) last week where they let Terrence take control, I think everybody was like, well, that was a bad idea. Like, look where they, that I mean, got us. They got, they got they through the harvest of Kairos through, by the skin of their teeth. And at this point, I don't think they think Terrence is a capable leader. And they still kind of trusted him to make this deal with this <laughs> supposedly peaceful race of people on this planet. Oh, yeah. And he completely screws it up. Yeah. And he completely balls that up, too. <laughs> at that point, at this point, if I'm Avon or Callie, I'm like, guys, we need to take like, a vote. Are we voting Terrence off the ship or are we keeping him around? Like, think, let's think about this. What, what actual benefit does Terrence provide to the crew? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. We talked about this a lot in Series A, how they each had their own specific skill or role, and the extent to which they fulfilled that was down to the the writers. You know, Gan, like you know, he was sidelined, but he was always like the the sort of strong man. He was the 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 brawn of the operations. Villa also, his skills weren't always put to use in the best way, but still, you know, he had this specific purpose. Tarrant is. And this actually has to do with, like, the aimless nature of, of Series C. You know, they're not really fighting the Federation anymore. They're kind of just there. And Terran also, too, is kind of just there. Yeah, Terrence, like, once again, what benefit does he provide? He's a space captain, but as we saw last week, he's a pretty 
he's a pretty big dumpster fire of a leader. I mean, he can he can do cool things, right? He he spin he he was the first oh, person to spin. to spin the Liberator, and you know he did. He was a capable he's a capable pilot, but they're all yeah, capable pilots they, they, to some they extent. They can all pilot the Liberator, right. so exactly. Dana's there. She might not have a specific like skill on the Liberator, like, but she's also there. She's out for revenge against Servaland, which makes her character interesting, right? Yeah, and, and 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 he sets up this meeting, which just <laughs> we see Villa down on the planet, and these two people are escorting him to where he needs to go, but they're not talking, they're not saying anything to him. Yeah, they look kind of like twins, but I don't think they are. No, they weren't. They just had the same exact yeah. clothes and, and hairstyle. hairstyle and hair color. No, actually not. Actually, well, no, the hair color wasn't that similar. You're yeah. right. But basically, the initial supposed deal that Tenet makes is that. They're going to send Villa down to help him with something, and they're going to leave crystals that the Liberator needs to power its its guns. I think this is the first time we actually find out that the Liberator's like blasters are, are powered by some weird crystal. <laughs> unobtainium um, crystal. And you know what? I would guess that this is also the last time that this is mentioned. <laughs> well, yeah, because they got the crystals now. Yeah. Also, we, we know what happens to the... We know what happens to concepts in the show. Yes. And characters. They just don't bring them up again, which is usually for the best. Honestly, but it's it's a thing. I mean, they could have very easily at the end of this episode brought Carol up to the Liberator and then just never mentioned her again. But <laughs> instead, they uh, they don't. So. Well, there's a choice for Villa at the end too, so that was kind of nice. Is it a choice though? Because Babin busts in and, and kind of interrupts the thinking process. No, at the end of the episode, Villa's like, "I made the t- complete wrong choice, didn't I?" <laughs> and Orak makes some snarky comment about it. We'll get there. We'll get there. So Callie goes down to get the crystals while Avon goes to do the thing, and there's a box with with Villa's transporter bracelet on top. And she's like, I don't really Teleport trust this. Uh, Dana gives her a gun before she goes down, and Tenet's like, Ten- so much for being unarmed. And Tenet, when he send when they send Villa down, and they're going to put the tracker in, and Tenet's like, I was going to send him down without trackers. I gave them my word, and Avon's <laughs> like, and Avon's like, you didn't give them my word, and Tenet's like, wow, I see how it is. And if I remember correctly, as soon as Callie sees this obvious booby trap, Terrence like, it's probably fine. Just go take it. <laughs> Callie's like, no. And then instead of this kind of like frustrated me, because Callie does <laughs> Callie does the most convoluted method of checking if this is booby trapped. Instead of like just picking up a rock and chucking it at the box, she like goes over a hill crouches beneath the hill, shoots the cliff face behind the box, <laughs> and then hopes and prays that one of the rocks will fall off the cliff face and lands on the box. By the way, this is set in the grossiest rock quarry I've seen <laughs> in existence. Well, it is just in a field. I mean, the, the box itself is in sort of a, a quarry or a sandy yeah. area. I thought this story was just going to be set in a field till Callie beamed down to the box, and it was like very clearly just a grassy rock mm. quarry, and I was like, ah... Interesting. Well, the the villa is in sort of a field outside the quarry, right? Yeah. And but when they get to the actual sets in this, those all look awesome. Mm-hmm. I really like the set work in this, especially the spaceship. There was it was. We'll just talk about this now. The corridors they go through in the city itself, the abandoned city, and when they get into when they get behind the the door are. It's pretty obviously, I think, the same set with different lighting, but it mm-hmm. looked really cool the way they did it. There's sort of this red and blue tint almost yeah. when they get behind the door. Although I think it's purpley maroon, right? It is. My quiz question was almost what color is the wall inside the <laughs> vault? But then I was like, that's dumb. Well, actually, I was gonna have my question be about the colors of the walls too, and that I think just goes to show you like how strong these things are, like how mm-hmm. striking it is. Because when they get to the the ship that they teleport to, it's all you know, it's, it's blue it's, and green. It's green and silver, and and it looks really cool. It's good, especially when the you know the corridors they're in the in the building are all gray, and then you go into the vault and you get all this, this big splash of color right. as soon as you walk through the doorway, which I think is really effective. Yep. So basically, Callie then is like, Callie gets beamed up right as the explosion goes off, and she's like, "Well, it was definitely booby trapped. <laughs> nice going, Tarrant." Tarrant is like, "Ah, so much for peaceful people." And I'm like, "Yeah, Tarrant. So much for peace loving, peaceful people, Tarrant." He's just like, hey, don't blame me. And they're like, well, who set this meeting up, <laughs> Terrence? I think it's this point where Dana walks in, finally. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, Terrence. They're <laughs> <laughs> all ganging up on Terrence. Uh, rightfully so. And he kind of deserves it. Yeah, rightfully so. Anyway, I think Villa gets into the city at this point, and he sort of finds out what's going on. It wasn't well, the so people th- of this planet who called him down there. It was Colin Baker. Well, okay, before that, there's this humorous scene where Villa's like, why don't you guys talk? And then they don't say anything. And he's like, come on, guys, like, 
say something and they just don't say anything. It's like, okay, well, I want to know where we're going. So I'm just going to sit here and tell you, tell me where we're going. And they just don't say anything. It's like, well, okay, you talked me into it. Let's go. <laughs> Villa, there were a lot of cool lines for Villa. I mean, this, this was a Villa story. It was a Villa story. And this is also a Chris Boucher story. So normally he has Villa be the butt of the jokes and Avon gets to say all the cool stuff. But here it's it's Villa it's front front and center. I mean, this Avon is, defends Villa in this story. Yeah. Possibly playing into that... Uh, Avon and Villa pay secretly best buds theory. <laughs> but in this episode, Avon also says, like, I only value Villa for his skills, and I dislike him as much as you do, but I at least recognize how valuable he is to us. But maybe he's just trying to cover up how him and Villa are best friends forever. Who knows? BFFs. <laughs> Kerr, Avon, and... Villa Restall. Villa Restall. <laughs> They find the little because they ask Orak where the tracker is, and he's like, "Oh, it's under that box right there." And they're like, "Oh," and then Tarrant is like, "He was so scared, he didn't even trust you." And Avon's like, "Yeah, Tarrant. I wonder why that is, Tarrant." <laughs> Tarrant's like, "Oh God." Anyway, we get Colin Baker in an outfit that's possibly more questionable than his Sixth Doctor outfit. <laughs> We've talked about at the uh, you know, at length. We talked about S and M outfits on Blake Seven before, but uh, you know maybe maybe Baby on the Butcher is just also into maybe his crew is just also an S and M. Maybe he gets his nickname group. from the S and M community, the Butcher. What I, I don't mean, know. We don't know where he got his nickname from. No, we don't. But it's probably because he's killed thousands of people, or hundreds, or maybe dozens. Or it could be that he's into some really messed up nonsense. Maybe he's from like a. Uh, cannibal planet i was gonna say he's from a line of butchers but <laughs> also i mean possible <laughs> yeah his entire crew is wearing just black reflective that, shiny leather bayban has like, like it a, has spikes on it too bayban has like an eye necklace thing too as well i didn't notice that oh you didn't no it's it hang it hangs pretty low which is probably why it hangs like right around his where the ribcage ends huh yeah i don't know what you're talking about at all it might actually it. be embedded in his shirt and not a necklace i couldn't tell because of the fantastic quality these <laughs> these are in well there are only like i think four of these right i don't think you ever really see any four, more than four of them on screen at a time mm-hmm. so and villa's so, like who are you well actually first he meets carol he's like man you smell really bad <laughs> and she's like oi and he's like you should take a shower Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the point of this is. Well, it's because later on she comes in when she's wearing the dress and she's like, "I've finally had time to freshen up for the first time in forever." <laughs> well, it's also because when she comes in later and Villa, and Villa's like, "Hey, Carol," and she's like, "How'd you know I was here?" And he's like, "Uh, don't worry about it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we should explain like Bayban's sort of group. His second in command, I guess. I guess there's two of them are Carol and Sherm. I think his yeah, name his is. His name is Sherm. Sherm was. <laughs> Sherm was, uh, he's like the bumbling second in command type guy. He was, he yeah. tried to be menacing, but you know, he, he really wasn't. And Upstart's he was cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's a trust your doctor reference for right. you. Trust your doctors or Dr. Who podcast. Check that out because its viewership is depressingly low. So. Not that far behind this podcast. No, no, it's not, but it's still depressingly low, which says, tells you something about this podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> and there's Carol. Who later Carol, on? Carol, not Carol. Carol, K E R O I L L. Right. Later on, I questioned how Carol even got into this group. I thought Carol was like an undercover agent for the people who lived on this planet when she freshened up and she came in in that outfit, and I was like, oh, she's part of the group. Well, and I think she just commandeered. Probably that, the, that's the what it actually was. Right. But when she came in in the outfit, it's like, oh, she's like undercover, and she's like finally showing her true colors to Villa Resta of all people. <laughs> But there's also another person there. He's their on-site hostage, I guess, because they do have other hostages elsewhere. And this is the Black Guardian. <laughs> Which Black Guardian? Um, the Turlo one, I think. Okay. The one who contacts Turlo. The one who manipulates Turlo into right. trying to kill the doctor. But yep. then Turlo's like, no, I can't kill anyone. But then Turlo still kills people later on. Yeah, but wasn't wasn't this the same Black Guardian from the Kita Time? Or not Kita? Yeah, Kita Time. Or was it a different actor? I don't remember. One of the two Guardians changed actors, and I don't think we ever saw the White Guardian again after Kita Times, but she was a Black Guardian. Yeah, we actually never saw the White Guardian, as it was the Black Guardian disguised the, the whole time, right? No, the very first time that the Guardian introduces the Kita Time to the Doctor in oh. whatever the first story that was, where he's sitting okay. on the beach, and then the he's Ribos like... The Rebos operation, I think. Yeah, the Rebos operation, and then he like he's like, here, I gave you a companion, too, and Romana just pops into the TARDIS. <sighs> right. 
That was the White Guardian. Actually, yeah, maybe the White Guardian was the one who changed actors because then later the White Guardian's like, hey, I'm different. And that's like, that's weird. <laughs> I don't anyway, know. You anyway, know, this guy, um, this, yeah, I forget his name, but he's the Black Guardian. Well, let's just find out his name. Who are you talking about? Oh, it's Valentine. Valentine. Dial. 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 I don't know. Dial, maybe. Anyway, Bayman the Butcher is apparently number two after Blake, except well, the Blake is like most want- <laughs> I guess it's the Federation's most wanted list like a couple years ago, right? Because... Yeah. Who knows if they have a most wanted list anymore? But Bayban is sort of jealous of Blake because he says that Blake got, you know, to the top spot via rumor P- and stuff political like that. Shortcuts, I think he says. And he got to the number two spot by working his way up. Yeah, committing crimes basically. Killing people. Killing people. Committing genocide. We don't know if he committed genocide. He kills people though. When does murder become genocide? Find out on Trust Your Doctor. <laughs> it's when there's only one of the species <laughs> left. But they need Villa to open a door. Because Villa's the best locksmith in the universe, galaxy, universe, galaxy. Or at least the most famous one. (laughs) I guess. That's always the thing is you always hear about like this person is the best, I don't know, tennis player in the world or something. Or this person is the best musician in the world or the most skilled pianist or something. And you're like, well, what if there's someone who is better than them and is just completely unknown and never made themselves public? Or what if there's someone who would be more skilled because they just have more raw talent but they never played the piano in the first place or something like that i mean yeah but it's the best known right, best, the best known known not like most well known but like the best that is known right <laughs> kind of like how avon is the second best computers expert in the galaxy and the first best is the guy who caught him <laughs> yeah whatever happened to the guy who caught him i guess we never see him wasn't it implied to be his buddy who sold him out the one with the cockroach uniforms uh, yeah, uh, Tynus? Was it supposed to be Tynus? Maybe. No, I guess not. Mm, I don't know. Don't know. Whatever. Anyway, Villa analyzes the door because they're like, it's basically impenetrable, and he analyzes like, wow, clever. He's like, there's two ways to secure something. There's the psychological and the physical, and the physical is like, oh, you build a vault and you put a lock on it that you can't open without a certain key, and then the psychological is like, you have a swamp and you put up a sign that says noxious gas that will kill you, stay out. <laughs> And he says that he really likes this vault. It's an interesting challenge because it's a mix of both because it's a force field that looks like an impenetrable barrier. So it's a physical because you can't actually get through the force field, but it's also psychological because it looks to be completely impenetrable. Right. And Phil's like, but really easy to crack. Just use this low energy probe. Uh, the, the energy threshold of the force field is 002. I just put this probe through at 001 and uh, then the force field will just drop when it gets to the other side. It should take about 45 minutes because Bayban only gives him an hour. Right. It's going to start killing hostages if Villa doesn't complete it within an hour. <laughs> but let's actually talk about Colin Baker as this villain character for a minute because this is awesome. This is Colin Baker's best acting performance that I've seen so far. Frankly. Yeah, well, I've only seen two of his performances. One is this, and the other is his performance as the sixth Doctor. Well, also and- Commander Maxwell in Ark of Infinity. Oh, right, yeah, right. Commander Maxwell. But yeah, this is the best. This is awesome. Yeah, this is just unequivocally the best he's actually acting. This is just acting. unfiltered Colin Baker goodness, which makes me question. I mean, I'm sure there were behind-the-scenes things when he was the sixth Doctor that prevented the sixth Doctor from reaching his full potential, right? But at the same time, Colin Baker is, like, so much better as a villain. <laughs> and I know that's, like, sort of typecasting him in my mind, at least. But, yeah. like, still, he's awesome in this, whereas he wasn't necessarily as the doctor because he did he did have sort of villainous tendencies as the doctor right he tried mm-hmm. to kill perry frequently <laughs> frequently <laughs> but especially so in the twin dilemma but yeah he's just he's great in this oh because he really sells the as maniacal completely lost his mind villain yeah, he has especially has when he no brings morality. in the big gun singular later on big and gun. kills himself with it yeah, he's not the brightest bulb in the patch. Yeah, the lights are on no one's home, so to speak. One sh- fry short of a Happy Meal, so to speak. Nothing upstairs, so to speak. <laughs> Villa busts through the door, and Carol goes with him. Right, Carol shows up later on, or uh, a little bit later. Actually, there's a, there's a, a conversation between Villa and, uh, what was the guy's name? No, started with an N. Gnome. My God, and Norl. Norl. There's a conversation between Villa and Norl where Villa starts to suspect that Norl is the one who's actually manipulating Bayban rather than the other way around. Yeah. 
He's and just, that's basically true. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't deny it, but he gives Villa a, a, he a just knowing sort of smiles. He kind of smiles like, yeah, that's what's happening. Villa's like, okay. So, yeah, Villa gets into the vault. But before he does, he asks Bayband what it is. And, and Noel is like, it's this it world, this and, the world next. and the next. And I thought this, this was like, this was something that we mentioned in Duel as something that stood out in Duel. And I think it stands out here as well, though not through the whole episode, but... Uh, there's sort of like a mysticism in this episode, mm-hmm. and later on, you you find out it's it's tech 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 based, right? It's a spaceship and stuff like that. But when it's set up, you think it's going to be like something almost religious, right? Like this world and the next, like something related to the afterlife yeah. or something like that. Or we saw this also. In Dawn of the Gods kind of does this as well, uh, but it was interesting. I, I kind of like that, and I'm okay with them not following through with it and and like totally explaining it as a spaceship and stuff at the end i'm I'm all right with all that i like it i mean but you know what it means right after everything's explained what he means by this world in the next but when it's set up like yeah it's supposed to be mysterious yeah it's supposed to be mysterious and there's like like i said before there's when it's set up there's a mysticism to it Mm -hmm. which i liked yeah yeah it made me really want to watch city at the edge of forever because i'm you know, I only have fragments of the plot of that episode that I've never watched. And a lot of it involves uh, a gate that gives you what you want, basically. So this phrase, I'll get into this world on the next, it made me think of that. I really wish I had had time to watch that episode this week. Yeah, maybe I've never watched anything from Star Trek, but maybe I'll go back and... Not go back, maybe I'll go forward and watch it. Oh, we didn't mention, I can't believe we didn't mention this, but Villa is basically wearing a bathrobe. Looks like so is Tarrant really and Avon actually. No, but Villas looks more like a bathrobe than really any of theirs. <laughs> it has that. It has almost that Luke Skywalker vibe, right? It looks. It's sort of this robe, and he has yeah. this, this this belt. And I, I was know. having episode eight flash forwards when Villa was walking <laughs> with the two people in the grassy field. Uh, I was having flash forwards to Luke and Ray on the grassy the island. island. I wasn't because those two people are also dressed very Luke Skywalker esque robes. So, not as much though, not as much as Villa, because Villa has like the tunic thing and he has the the, the long ish boots with the pants, but whatever. It looks like a bathrobe. Would have liked Villa to wear an actual bathrobe, and this would have made it hilarious. <laughs> kind of like how Amy wore a nighty for all of the Beast Below. Yeah, Villa. Anyway, Being the genius that he is, goes into the vault with Carol, and then the door closes behind them. Right, and as soon as Carol shows up here, uh, you you know, or at least I knew, or suspected, there was like a pit in the bottom, like a pit form in my stomach. At this, is like, oh great, they're setting up some romantic BS yes. between Villa and Carol. And yes, that's that is what it they was. They definitely probably slept together too. Well, yeah, at the end of the, that's what it is. But yeah, I don't know. I mean. We've talked about romance in Blake 7 before and, you know, the, the incest thing between Blake and Inga didn't necessarily play out all that well. <laughs> well, I mean, was that because of the romance or because it was incest? Hey, yeah, you tell me, but... Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> but here it's not... I don't know. It, well, it here it's not incest. Right. No, well, as far as we know, but... <laughs> what? <laughs> they could be distantly related cousins. We don't know. <laughs> Second cousins is far enough apart with a genetic so, like, split enough that you can be okay. Uh, apparently, I don't know. All right. Not that that makes it like... Splice (laughs) that audio into into anything, really. Not that that makes it, like, socially acceptable. (laughs) I'm just saying it's less likely your kids are going to come out with genetic questionables. Okay, is that a real thing, though, or is that just a superstition? What? That incest babies, for lack of a better term... No, are going to come out with a genetic defect. No, that's a, oh, but, that's a real thing because your genetics are so close to like your sister your, 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 or your cousin, even your, your genetics are so close that like it causes mutations to be much more likely. Like the British royal throne. Yeah, I, I know like was, the hemophilia thing, yeah. but like I, I get that part of it, like how the disease like just kept on being passed down, you know, within the royal families of, of Europe, really because of all the incest but people always come out and say like your baby if you have in, uh, like if you're if a child is a product of a close enough incest- incestuous relationship then they're like going to come out like deformed or like a jellyfish baby or something I mean, people yes. really play it up and i don't know if that part is true i mean genetic deformal- de- de- deformities are always a possibility when you have a child uh, it's always yeah possible 
but when it's an incestuous relationship, it's like tens of times hmm. more likely to happen than if you're not related. Huh. Which is why, like, second cousins is the point where that likelihood has dropped to the value where it's roughly like you were with a stranger, basically. Huh. All right. I'll take your word for it. This is hard biology. Not hard, hard, not hard like, difficult, hard, like, <laughs> hard facts. All right. Like I said, I'll take your word for it. Because I'm not going to look, look any of up. this. I'm not going to. Why not? We have show notes to do. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, I actually enjoy doing the notes. <laughs> Damn it. Foiled again. I'm going to have to look it up now. So Villa and Carol... They go in and... Th- this, they get teleported onto a spaceship thousands of light years away, apparently. Well, Villa has been playing up this battle between him and the person who designed all these doors and traps. Yeah. And this is cool. You know, it, it uh, gives him sort of an antagonist in, in his own sort of character arc. Not really in this story, though. I like mean, it turns this luck is breaking awesome. into a battle. It turns luck right. breaking into a battle of wits, basically. Right. How successful that is in this episode is questionable. Reminds but me a lot cool. of like computer hacking. When it's whenever it's displayed in like a movie, there's always someone hacking. There's always someone counter hacking. Yeah. It's a battle of wits. Who's gonna hack first? Who's gonna hack the hack? <laughs> right. But they get teleported to the spaceship thousands of light years away, and Villa's like, "Wow, what the hell?" And there's this voice that's just like, "Your speech pattern has been analyzed and determined to be Terran." I will now plot dump everything for you. <laughs> I will now explain the plot of this episode. But this set also looks really cool. This is the one we were talking about before that's sort of mm-hmm. metallic-y and it has this green glow. There's skeletons here, too. There's two skeletons sitting in chairs. Right. And I guess these are the once every 35 generation dudes or whatever. But we'll explain that now, basically, because the voice explains it. So what's happening here is... I think the planet is unnamed, but the planet that they were on for the rest of this, for you know, mm-hmm. since the beginning of the story, at some point in their history started to devolve into barbarism, and I forget why. There was a reason for that. They just lost their way. A little bit more of the mysticism, I think the guy's like, oh, they lost their way and they stopped believing or something like right, that. Right, something like that. And But some of them realized that early enough, and they got on a spaceship. And that, flew away. And flew away to f- try and find another planet. And some of them were left, but they embedded... A memory that recurs once every 25 or 35 generations, I forget mm-hmm. what it was, that will allow someone to open the door that was sealed. It feels like, that's me. Right. And they get teleported onto the spaceship. But the thing is, once they're teleported onto the spaceship, they're left there to die unless the spaceship has reached a suitable planet. <laughs> Which is what these two skeletons are. Which is kind of weird when you think about it, because it's not like they can pilot the spaceship. There's no way they can pilot it. They're just supposed to be guinea pigs to test the planet that they land on. Basically, I guess. Anyway, they're like, well, we're going to die, so let's basically just have sex right here and now. They push the two little couches together, and then we hide cut away to Avon talking with his pals. And he's like, here's the plan. We're going to beam down into the city that Zen's detected. We're all going to go together. Orak, you're going to operate the teleport. We're going to get Villa out of there. So they beam on down. Meanwhile, Saving the base is in chaos. <laughs> Saving private Villa. Well, let's discuss this funny scene. Well, because Avon and Callie come across the hostage camp, but they also come across some of Bayban's guys. Right. And there's this funny scene, and this is... We've mentioned, I've been mentioning this, the serious the C thing, right? Where it's all about like belief and trickery and stuff like that. And this episode is really light on that. There's not much, I think, here. Mm-hmm. But there is this one, and it's done really humorously, where Avon throws, I don't know what he throws, but he goes, grenade! And they all like run for their lives. And that, it wasn't actually a grenade, and that's how they get them. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of that, because Bayban's like, I'm number two, I worked my way yeah, up. There's a little like, bit well, of it. Why have we never heard of you before then? There, there's a little bit of it, and I actually <laughs> like the simplicity of it in this episode. After it's gotten like gotten increasingly more in-depth in like Harvest of Kairos and stuff like that, I like just a sort of simple story about it. Mm-hmm. It still touches on this overarching thing. But uh, they, they do come across the hostage camp. I don't remember exactly what they do with it. Nothing, <laughs> Nothing. I think. They have this weird scene where Dana like gets spotted by some guards who are in a panic because they're looking for a villa because Bayban's like, find a villa, I'm going to start killing the guards off too. Right, because Bayban doesn't think that anyone yeah. could have broken through the door. It's weird because he brought villa yeah. down there to do that. And then 
Dana gets seen and then she like goes around the corner and then Terrence is like, oh, you got seen? Hang on. Let me take care of this. Let me take care of this. And he goes around the corner and then he comes back. He's like, so you said three of them, huh? Well, you hear three blaster shots. And this yeah, is I funny because like, he like tried. Shot them. He, I, I, like, right, I thought like he was going to come back. And he's like, took care of it. But he comes back and he's like, help me, Dana. Well, he's like, so three of them, you said. <laughs> and then she basically puts a wind up mouse on the floor. And she's like, yeah, this is something I've been working on. This is like the, and this actually predates it. But um, this is like the, the bombs you can get in the Zelda games that are designed to look like uh, mice. And like they run along the floor and blow shit up. <laughs> And this is what it is. Uh, Dana, what are you doing? <laughs> and this is the thing, like, I guess based on dialogue later in the episode, Dana's supposed to be a teenager, right? Yeah. And I don't know how old Josette Simon is, but she's not a teenager. No. And, <laughs> and like, she designs this, like, toy, but it's actually a bomb. <laughs> This is kind of, this is interesting. She's always been like really trigger happy as she's been in this episode. She, I forget what the exchange was, but she says like, well, when Villa gets back, I'm going to kill him or something like that. Or she says, I would kill him Mm -hmm. to something in response to something Terrence says, which is like, this is all good. Like, like I said before, Dana is completely just gone in the beginning of this episode. But later on, you know, now she's actually getting character. Well, yeah, because then we they confront Baben, and Baben's like, "Go on, kill me. You can be the guy who killed the man who killed Avon." And then Callie's like, "What about the woman who killed Baben?" And then Dana's like, "What about the girl who killed Baben?" Right. They all have their liberator liberator guns, you know, trained on him. Trained on him. And Avon does hold his like an old revolver, as Twice he in always this episode. does. Yep. <sighs> My favorite segment: Does Avon hold it like a six shooter? Yes, he does. Like one, one no and like five yeses at this <laughs> point. And then Villa, well, Villa and Carol, after having their last night together, Villa's like, hey, Carol, we're still alive. And she's like, is that a bad thing? And he's like, no, that means there's air coming in. And that's when Villa deduces that there's a wall that's is basically the same thing as the door he was trying to break through initially. Mm-hmm. It's a force field that's designed to look like a wall. Yeah, and he's like, oh, that guy tried to get through it. Because he's like, what if it malfunctioned and then the door's open but the force field didn't go down? So he grabs his probe out of the skeleton's hand and then he, it zaps Villa and he goes flying across the room and he's like, wow, discharged right through me whether the force field goes away. And they're like, wow, look at that. And this planet, weirdly enough, like doesn't have a sky, so I don't really know if it actually has an atmosphere, but anyway. Maybe it's you can just, just night. Because you can just see straight into space. Maybe it's night. Yeah, I guess it could just be night. The moon looks I, like... I said that too. I was like, oh, well, what? maybe... maybe there, I, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, is there an atmosphere? Yeah. Like, what's going on? But then I was like, ah, it's just The night. moon looks like suspiciously close on yeah, this planet. Yeah, the moon is really close. <laughs> or it's just but, really, really big. <laughs> but here's, here's where I had some issues with Carol, right? Because after she comes back, she, initially she's like this hardened person in Bayban's group. And after she comes back... She's like, she's frightened of everything. She's scared of the skeleton. She screams at the top of her lungs. She's hiding behind Villa as they walk through the corridors. And I questioned how she even got into Bayban's group in the first place. Pretending? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, I didn't like where the episode went with her. Oh, they just got hit with this love subplot. And they're like, we got to make her more submissive because Villa's such a doofus. I guess. Anyway, Villa's like, oh, crystals. And she's like, wow, Villa. And Villa's like, what the hell well, did I do wrong? she's just throwing them into a pond. She's like, they're everywhere. And Villa's like, what the hell did I do wrong? Give me any explanation. I'm a reasonable guy. I'll take a good reason or a bad reason or any reason at all because what the hell did I do? Well, he says, he, he starts gathering the crystals and he's like, wow, the, the, the rest of the crew will love this. And then she's like, oh, you're planning on going back. Because I guess what it was was that she thought they were going to, you know, stay on this planet or whatever. Yeah. So Which is also really lame. Forever. Yeah. Uh. I mean, really, if you think about this, this story is Villa plopped into like Indiana Jones. <laughs> really? What do you mean by that? It's, I mean, you remember Indiana Jones. Villa basically, he gets captured by the bad guys. He opens a vault for them. Yeah, he goes in. Yeah, I guess. With his unwitting but beautiful to him and. They mutually attracted to each other girl. Uh-huh. They sleep together. They get the jewels and they go home. Then he heroically rescues her from the big bad and escapes. This is basically the yeah. plot of Temple of Doom when you really think about it. I guess so. Sure. 
it just I, I don't know like that's why as, I kind of loved it honestly it's well, my top five well as, let's just discuss this now as as most romantic subplots go do, go this one didn't land for me and most don't land for me but this one didn't land for me because it's like they, these people have known each other for like five minutes and she's Love on the enemy sight. side man it's a plot of Lost Crusade. Yeah, it is. Indiana Jones falls in love with that German scientist. The German spy? The German spy. <laughs> but then she has a change of heart. But then she has another change of heart at the end where she realizes she can make off with the grail and she ends up killing, almost killing everyone. Ah, classic holy grail. Anyway, they make it back and Baben's like, they- he was inside the vault the whole time. <laughs> Baben, I think, has already brought in the gun because he tells Sherm, I think, to go get this gun from his ship that's mm-hmm. a giant laser cannon. It's going to blow everything up if they use it inside. Well, okay, Avon says it... Avon says if he just uses it, it'll blow up half the base. But then... Callie, right it, after that, Callie's like, the whole base. And then, to add to the power, I guess, Bayman points it at the freaking force field that reflects any energy you put into it back at you. So... Yeah. Well, he's aiming at Villa, who gets teleported up. Uh, but, I actually forgot my what would Blake do. I'll mention it at the end, actually. <laughs> Okay, so he pops out, and they're like, wow, he was inside the vault the whole time. Also, there's been, like, this call, and all these people have come to the city, and Villa's like, oh, the city's not a ruin. It's a transport hub where everybody can go to the new planet. And they all go into the vault, and they teleport to the ship on the new planet. And then Norrell is like, uh, exactly as I planned. <laughs> Bayban's like, what the hell? And Carol's like, I want to come with you. And he's like, you've proven yourself to be trustworthy in the 10 minutes that, or the one hour that I've known you. <laughs> And then she's like, Villa, you're coming with me, right? I love you. Yeah, he's like, you know, I really, really like you. And she's like, well, there's the difference. I love you. And he's like, he has like panic eyes. He's like, oh, shit. And this is like, just kill me. Okay. This was awful. No, it wasn't. It was really bad. Mm -mm. No, it wasn't. It warms the heart to see Villa, this bumbling buffoon, find love and then throw it away because the Liberator crew is more important. But it's done in like such a dumb way. Except his choice is really made for him. I mean, what's nice is that I think the Liberator crew understands because they give him his bracelet and they're like, look, we're ready for you whenever you want to teleport up. They teleport up and they just leave. They leave him there. They're like, finally, we we finally found an excuse to get rid of Villa. No, no, they don't. They just leave and they all turn to Tarrant and go, you know what, Tarrant, this is your fault. We lost Villa because of you, Tarrant. Anyway, they and then Baben pops up and he's like, ha ha, I've got you now. And then Villa's like, go, Carol, quick, through with Noel, go. And they go into the vault closes and Villa's like, ah, <laughs> choice was kind of made for me now. Beam me up, boys. And he gets beamed up right as Baben shoots and blows himself up. I guess Baben just decided he had nothing left to live for. Well, th- he's going to hit Villa, so the, the effect is going to be bad, but it's not going to be as bad as if he had hit the the force field that reflected everything back still would have killed him still would have killed him so i guess he has nothing to live for it like double kills him <laughs> oh okay <laughs> because when you're dead you really care if you got yeah, killed you or double be de- killed you be double dead <laughs> what it's uh, overkill i don't know right so then he goes back gets back up to the liberator and he's like oh god this was the complete wrong choice because they they're like welcome back villa and they all they make some snarky comments towards him He's like, guys, I don't really care anymore. And they just leave him alone. I forget what Orak says. Orak oh, really goes into Villa. Here we go. Well, Villa's like, that. I think I just made the worst mistake of my entire life. Oh, and then yeah. Orak goes, I highly doubt that, given your like propensity, record, yeah. given your track record for making mistakes, I highly doubt that this is the worst mistake <laughs> you'll ever make. And Villa's like, thanks, Orak. That actually makes me feel a lot better. And then he's like, I hope all the other mistakes have nice legs, which to me actually the- implied that... The mistake wasn't leaving Carol behind, but was falling in love with Carol in the first place. Right. So. Dun, 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 da-da. That's where it ends. So. A little bit of a sitcom moment again with Orak just tearing into Villa. As usual, Blake 7 usually ends on sort of a, a lighthearted moment, no matter how dark the episode itself is. And usually there's actually one was not quite that dark. dark. This one was quite dark, in my opinion. Sure. But I love this episode. I think everything was just great. Definitely in my top five, honestly. I just loved That's how we got surprise. to see Villa basically just gallivant around this this planet. We get to see Avon basically act as the backup crew. Everybody just they Everybody, just dump all over Tarrant, which I thought was just hilarious. Right. Every this is nice after Harvest of Kairos in 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 the when you think about how it real much it rails into Tarrant. I did like how this focused on all the characters. Right. 
Dana arguably less than anyone else, but still, there was still stuff for Dana in this. Mm -hmm. Callie was also awesome in this, which is good because Callie's kind of becoming my favorite character. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm really surprised. Actually, let me touch on my what would Blake do because I completely forgot about it. Mine was when Bayban is giving his little speech about how he's second and Blake was first. I think if Blake was was... If Blake had heard that, he would come up with some dumb comeback as to why he's like at the top of the wanted list and he probably. deserves to be. And, you know, he probably does considering Blake was supposedly a lot more proactive and successful before his uh, mind wipe. And after, allegedly. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. We don't see a lot of that, though. He just assembled a really ineffectual crew, <laughs> as it turns out. But yeah, I think that's what Blake would do. But anyway, I'm really surprised that you put this in your top five because I put this, I don't think this is a bad episode. I'll say that, but I do put this in my bottom five. You know, there's, there are five Blake's seven episodes that I think aren't great. And those are Orac, Redemption, Gambit, Volcano, and this. And of those- well, I wouldn't put this with any of those. Well, of, of those five, this is definitely the best by far, but I just don't think it was great. I th just think it was good. I love this episode. I would watch it again right now, honestly. I think it's just so different from all the other episodes, which is why it makes it great, because we get to see Villa being the hero for once, which I thought was just great. He was hilarious. This is something that I want them to do more often, which is have the spotlight be on one character and also have enough for the other characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this really, in my opinion, balanced everybody else really well. Even though Villa is the main hero, we've got everybody else still gets their time in the sun. Yeah, exactly. This is something that I really like. And I think it's just, I think it's great, honestly. It's great. No, my favorite part about it was seeing Colin Baker and, and all that. <laughs> I was like, hey, I, it's Colin Baker. I, I liked how he had a, a sort of team, right? It wasn't just him. I liked how he had Sherm, who was sort of the mm -hmm. bumbling second in command. I liked how he had Carol, who switches sides. That was all great stuff. Mm -hmm. That was all good stuff, I think. Chris Boucher at his best, in my opinion. But that's really all I actually have to say on this, is that I loved it. Because I already talked about everything I really liked when we were talking about the plot yeah i think i touched on most of what i wanted to uh to touch on but let's uh give the answers to the questions oh right so instead of splicing them in like we had to that one time yeah donald gods all right so you should go first since you asked your question first right and mine was really easy to remind you what it is it was what did babe ann's mother call him as a child and the answer was babe like the pig yeah like the pig <laughs> Mine was when the Liberator crew attacks the base, they, you know, Shone comes running in. He's like, Baby, and we're getting slaughtered. We only have X, you know, blank number of people left. Keon guessed six. The answer was actually seven. Wow. Like I said, you weren't that far off. So there you go. We might change up the quiz format in a couple, in the coming weeks, I mean. As you'll yeah. see when we respond to Sergeant Drano's email in about two minutes. <laughs> right. But we're going to respond to, because we have two emails from Sergeant Reno this week that we're going to respond to. We have one about this episode and one that's like a, a response to our response for Donald Gods. <laughs> so we'll start with the one that's subject, City at the Edge of the World. Uh, so, hey guys. Hey, so City at the Edge of the World, Captain Tarrant, space adventurer continues to evolve into even more of a quote leader, unquote, especially when it comes to quote inspiring, unquote, Villa. Nice of everyone and Callie to come to Villa's defense, though it would have been nicer if they had done it before Villa teleported down. That said, it's pretty satisfying the way every character takes a big crap on Tarrant for the rest of the episode. Hell yeah. It's like the show's lampshading his status as caffeine-free diet Blake Zero. The green gun Dana gives Callie, ironically, is the one that Serverland took from her home and used to murder Dana's father. That's Hal. Don't sh uh, not sure how they got it on the ship, though. Maybe she made another one. Ah, yes, Babe and the Butcher. Man, that guy looks so familiar, but I just can't place where I've seen him before. Oh, wait, I've got it. He was on Doctor Who. I think he played Commander Maxwell in Ark of Infinity. Yeah, he did. Don't think he's done anything else. Speaking of Doctor Who, though, you may find Noel familiar as well, particularly his voice. That's because he's none other than the Black Guardian. Yeah, Keon pointed that out. Another mention of Blake this episode, Babin being number two on the most wanted list. Did Babin hand feed Villa some poop? Uh, yeah, I thought so too. Did you guys catch oh, how right. Villa knew that Carol was there? Lol, it was her massive B.O. Seriously. Callie is a woman, but Dana thinks of herself as just a girl. Tarrant. Hello, Babin. I heard a rumor that you were dead. Funny, that turns out to be true that he says this when Avon's got his gun on his head. So, big Villa episode this week. I heard it was written specifically for Michael Keating to give Villa a chance to get the girl and be heroic. I think it did a good job. It managed to keep Villa in character. Seven out of seven, of course. Yes, I agree. Uh, Kerboy Avon count two. C attached. Sergeant Jane of Station 7 the door. 
Don't know yeah. much to say about this since I think yes. we actually pointed all of this out in our episode. And what we didn't, it is just, you know, pointing stuff out. There was stuff we didn't notice, like Dana's gun, which is really cool. Don't, mm-hmm. Again, yeah, I don't know how they got it up on the Liberator, but still a cool touch there. Reusing props. Tynus's gun is still the, the coolest that we've uh, ever seen. Well, yes, because no, well, nothing can Because it has a mini Zen on it. Yeah, a little miniature Zen <laughs> model. Maybe it is the Zen model. Zen didn't actually show up in this story. Uh, at all yeah no he didn't the bridge didn't show up at all either which is where Zen is alright Donald God's aftermath this is quite a long email kind of wish I had brought something to drink my throat is killing me hey guys I mean I can take this one if you want <laughs> no it'll be fine hey guys <laughs> Dylan said Avon putting on a suit wouldn't accomplish anything eh what sure if the ship is crushed by the black hole it's a moot point but if it isn't crushed and it wasn't then if the ship sustains enough damage to lose compression the guy with the suit on is the only hope of saving the situation the only hope any of the crew has of survival so putting on the suit is the logical survival choice for the situation not putting on the suit is simply assuming failure assuming you're all going to die and just giving up yeah well that's my life in my opinion <laughs> Putting on the suit was in character for Avon because Avon tends to act pragmatically most of the time, machine-like, relying on logic. Tarrant stopping him, insisting they all die together is more in character with Blake, who acts more so based on emotion or on his own log- uh, sometimes warped mis- sense of morality. Think of the time that Blake has dragged the crew into situations to serve his own ideological objectives, sometimes even deceiving them in the process. Blake's assault on control resulting in Gan's death is a prime example. Right, yeah, let's let's actually just touch on this before we get to the rest of it. Yeah, I... I uh... I, I like this. I, I do agree that it's uh, in character for Avon. I think, like I mentioned, you know, regardless of whether the thing works or not, it's Avon differentiating himself. It's mm-hmm. it's him separating himself from the rest of the crew. And, you know, this is a character who always at least tries to stay rational. I, I remember in Duel, I think it was, Avon has the line, I've never shown, I've never seen why caring, I know I'm butchering the line, but I never, I've never seen why caring result, uh, has to result in you being irrational, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Even when it's caring about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's a good point, actually. Putting on the suit, I guess, would save you if, if there's decompression on the ship. But at that point, uh, does it matter? Ship's going to be trapped in the black hole. It's not like they can escape. So I still say I just assume <laughs> failure and give up. Well, they come out of it okay either way. Well, Yeah. <laughs> In your discussion for this episode, you guys have an interesting discourse about retcons versus continuity errors, and Keon talks about a couple of concepts. One is known as the unreliable narrator, where the information the show presents to us is unreliable. While this is certainly a thing that exists in certain works of fiction, I personally have a strong distaste for it. Like Dylan, I don't like the idea that we cannot depend on the information a a narrative presents to us. It creates a story foundation made of sand where viewers or readers can make, quote, arguments, unquote, for any theory or position they want to take and reject narrative evidence they don't like by proposing that the narrative is, quote, unreliable, unquote. It's an argument built out of thin air. Unreliable narrators also sometimes used by weak or lazy writers as a kind of damage control to cover up poor story construction, continuity errors, or plot holes. The other concept Keon appears to support is something called, quote, death of the author, unquote. This is a view that men, that the author's intent has no bearing on the meaning that can be interpreted from that author's finished work. For example, a reader reading a story might propose, quote, ah, X in this story equals Y. Exclamation point, unquote. <laughs> the author might come out and clarify, quote, no, X does not equal Y. That was never my intent when I wrote it, unquote. I don't know why I got so bombastic when I'm reading this paragraph. <laughs> a proponent of, quote, death of the author, unquote, would side with the reader and say that the author's intent does not matter. I have mixed feelings on this one. On the one hand, authors do sometimes lie about their original intent when they wrote something. For example, a lazy writer might respond to criticism of his work by saying, quote, ah, but when I wrote that, I intended it to have an unreliable narrator, unquote, when in fact maybe he's just a crappy writer. On the other hand, if an author's true intent can be determined, in my opinion, that should have a strong influence over how his or her literary work should be interpreted. You could learn more about these concepts on Wikipedia, font of all internet knowledge. Dylan, you're misremembering what Tarrant told Avon in Powerplay. Tarrant says the man who got the uniform from outranks Clegg, and I trained as a Federation space captain, so it wasn't too difficult. Yeah, I mentioned, I corrected my mistake in Harvest of Kairos because I went and looked it up because I was confused. So by now, that's mistake has already been rectified not sure if the quiz bit is really working in its current form since it's just a listener guessing at the start of the podcast and getting the answer at the end of the podcast if they bother there's not really any interactivity you could have listeners send answers in and get recognized in the next podcast but really listeners would just google it there needs to be a live component preferably with an ongoing leaderboard if you had guests more often i'd suggest quizzing the guests but since you don't it would be more interesting if you were to quiz each other and make it a contest between yourselves we're almost there 
There's a lot of podcasts out there that once they start getting popular, limit their responses to emails. I actually think that's a big mistake. Interactivity makes things more interesting. Frankly, if you had enough emails, I wouldn't care if the whole episode consisted of discussions between you and your listeners. If you want to try and limit the main podcast to a shorter time period, which I also don't really see any need for, I suggest you move your email responses section to the end rather than the ongoing philosophical discussion on sci-fi. So there's viewers out there who don't like listening to email responses can cut them out. While the rest of us can enjoy a very lengthy and detailed interaction with Dylan Keon. Can't speak for other listeners, but I almost never go to podcast websites. No, how, um, no matter how big a fan I am, stuff you put on your honestly website, I am honestly probably not going to see. It's just not the way I tend to interact with podcasts. That's it for now. See you later. Eating the pudding, Sergeant Shano, Station Seven, the door. So, I mean, what do we want to touch on first here? Because I have a written response, sort of the the middle of that email. But do we want to? We well, let's do that first, the, and then we'll right. end with uh, the, the podcast yeah. related stuff. So. Here, I'm just going to read what I wrote, and this isn't as fleshed out as I wanted it to be, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'll just read what I wrote. So you bring up the concept of the unreliable narrator, and I don't think it's really right or necessarily helpful to do so in this case. I hesitate to apply the concept of a narrator even to text, so I sure as heck am hesitant to apply it to a TV episode. Is Callie a narrator in these moments? I'm not sure. Uh, and those moments would be in Dawn of the Gods and mm-hmm. was it uh, Time Squad. Uh, I'm not sure. She certainly tells a story, but what narration is, what it does, and the question of its existence as more than just a too-valorized theoretical framework that's quite off- that's often quite restrictive are more complicated, I think. Honestly, if there was one thing I would erase from childhood, language, and literature education, it's the concept of the narrator. Uh, your explanation also assumes a few things that we can't take for granted. One, that the foundations, quote, foundations, unquote, of a story exist in plot, and two, that a writer's state of mind when writing is important to consider when we approach a story. Um, there's also a point to all this that's heavily related to the metafictionality of Series C and how all this is functioning in the particular situation of a TV show over multiple episodes and seasons. Would Dylan have called this a retcon if the two episodes were in the same season? What about if they were in a single hypothetical movie? Series C is all about how belief even functions when we watch and follow a TV show. Like Avon said, it's a matter of what we see and whether or not we're fooled by it. That's in uh, Harvest of Kairos. Series C relentlessly questions the integrity of things that are fundamental to a TV show, and I'm constantly amazed at how this series never lets me take things for granted or assume things and keeps me on my toes and does so with crazy ideas about the nature of and methods to truth, how and whether the idea of truth even works in a TV show, and what we do with what we see and hear when we watch. Uh, And I never believe in arguments made out of, quote, thin air, unquote. I believe in compelling arguments that draw from the story. Anyway, I do support some of the ideas that people now colloquially call, uh, quote, death of the author, unquote, based on death of the author by Roland uh, Bart, I think is how you say his last name. It's French. It's spelled B-A-R-T-H-E-S. And he's like this theorist, post-structuralist guy, I think. He's uh, uh, an interesting read if you ever want to read him. <laughs> but I don't really like that term, death of the author, because it's really sensational, not surprising, coming from Bart. <laughs> and the ideas and discussion far predate and exceed what's in that essay. In fact, they're thousands of years old. When it comes down to it, this is a discussion about textual ethics. And I do think using the word author to mean writer is actually very harmful and not something we should do anymore. And that's actually kind of a new... This is, this is me intersplicing things, but actually, that's fairly new, using the word author to mean writer. It's only a couple hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway... Once a story, sorry, where was I? Remember, people can't own ideas. Once a story is out there, it's out there, and it's everyone's, and now part of culture because stories are never static. They call to disagree with that, and are called by other stories and exist in a continuum. This is why the book is kind of a dangerous image. It's deceptive. Closing the book and the words "quote the end" unquote don't end the story. Anyway, if you can point to a moment in a story and make a claim about it and draw from the text to support it, then that evidence will be as compelling and convincing as it is. And that's not something any writer can defy by simply saying, quote, not what I meant, unquote. If that writer wants to counter by pulling from the text in the same way, then they might have a point. I've already talked for long enough, so I'll just touch on this. Uh, You dislike the concept of unreliability in a story and use terms like, quote, plot hole and, unquote, and, quote, continuity error, unquote, to support that. But since stories are fundamentally things of idea, theme, emotion, and aesthetic, concepts like a plot hole and a continuity error are mainly extraneous and can easily be defied, twisted, played with, and played with in service to what the story's about, doing crazy and awesome things in the process. And that's all I got for that. Uh, I frankly have no strong response to any of this. Uh, frankly, I just don't care enough anymore uh, to even try oh, and debate I, the point. I really, this is stuff that keeps me up at night, I'm, and I'm not even kidding about that. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
I think unreliable narrators are an incorrect term to apply to a TV show, at least to Blake 7 in this context, because we never actually have anybody narrating the story to us. The story is presented in a way that it's supposed to be us watching the events unfold, quote, live, unquote. Uh, and I guess you could try and define a narrator in that situation, but I don't think that this is so much an unreliable narrator as just people being jerks to each other. Uh, Keon brought up what would I say if, if what Callie had said appeared in the same season, I'd still call it a plot hole. If it appeared in a one well, single call it a plot hole. You called it uh, a retcon. retcon, if it appeared in a single movie, I'd call it a continuity error that somebody overlooked in the scripting phase. I'm, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I'm telling you what I would call it since you asked the question in your textual response and I'm responding. Yeah, all right. That's really interesting. To me, it doesn't matter the fact that it's spaced this far apart so much as the way that they built Callie up in that time as she was someone who never lied. And then all of a sudden now she's lying. So to me, that makes it a retcon. Well, to me, that's like really cool. That's like, what is this doing that we find that we get this now that we get this? thing that's uh, anyway we said what we needed to say about that let's not get back into that but we can touch on the the stuff about where we want to put things in the structure of the episodes yeah uh so we a couple weeks ago we said we were going to put the running sci-fi discussion after the outro sequence and uh, we changed our mind well yeah we changed our mind since then there hasn't really been anything about that to put after the outro sequence so we haven't done that but you know we got to thinking and whenever I listen to podcasts, you know, I'll, as soon as that outro thing starts playing, I'll just skip to the next episode or just go listen to something else. Yeah, that's the thing. Typically, most people just turn off at the outro anyway. So even if you wanted to hear that discussion, it, we'd have to either like say every single time, hey, there's going to be more yeah. after this. And we probably are not going to do that. We'll either forget or. So we're just not going to move anything after the outro. The outro is supposed to say it was like the, the, the end of the podcast uh, for that week. Right. And that's, that's also why Keanu says, until then, the end, and not just the end. Uh, because this is going to be, we'll be back next week. The podcast keeps going. It doesn't stop. Until we end this podcast. I guess when we end this podcast, you can just say the end without the next time. Anyway, I was just thinking about that. That's kind of weird. In regards to limiting our response to emails, we basically decided we're just going to cross that bridge when we get there. We haven't gotten enough emails to actually limit it per week. So right now we're just responding to all of them. If we ever get to that point where we think it might be too long, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I think we decided. Like the fourth doctor said, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. That's one of my favorite sayings now. Honestly. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it. It's actually called a, it's called a malaphor. I think it's called like a, me- it's like, a, it's like a metaphor that you, you conflate with a, with another one. There's one from, um, this isn't actually necessarily that, but there's one from Terry Pratchett that's, God, now I'm forgetting what it is. Build a man a fire, he'll be warm for a day. Set, a, man, set a, man a man on fire, fire he'll be yeah. warm for the rest of his life. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the same thing. I just heard that like the other day, so I wanted to mention it. Anyway, as for the quiz um, questions, when we first de- thought of this, we were thinking of doing it um, the way you, uh, Sergeant Reno explains Mm-hmm. Um, but we decided not to do that because we thought people just wouldn't care enough to have their remember their answers and like yeah. care enough about this segment over multiple weeks. Because yeah, I originally suggested we put the answers in the next week podcast, but then Keanu was like, well, people probably either won't remember or they won't care to remember, or, or like you said, they can just Google it. Right. But I guess the idea between putting it in the next week's episode is to force them to actually go back and watch the episode because are you going to really be able to Google <laughs> what, yeah, right, what color yeah. was the wall? <laughs> what color was well, the you, wall when Villa went into the vault? Well, I mean, you can YouTube it and then just skim through the video is what you can do if it's something like that. I guess. If it's not a dialogue thing. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think I still stand by that. I think I still stand by having the question at the beginning and the answer at the end. And that'll also allow us to answer each like we did in this episode. I mm-hmm. didn't know that your answer was seven. And I did, I guessed six. So I mean, was, I like, knew the answer to Keon's that it was Bay, but, but I didn't want to say it at the start of the episode because then, like, what if you actually wanted to? Yes. But, guess. That, but that one was also really easy, and I knew it was too. But then I'm almost worried it's going to be uh, it's going to turn into a competition of who can come up with the most complex and obscure question <laughs> to stump the other person, but right? I, I mean, I wouldn't do that. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't do no, that. No, I wouldn't do that. But, I mean, you never know. <laughs> you never know. How many blades of grass were there on the beat? No. Let's <laughs> came back through the episodes of counting the blades of grass. How many people are standing in the background of that shot? With the <laughs> quiz section may see some revisions in the coming weeks. We're probably going to have to take this discussion off podcast. 
and figure out what the heck to do with it because uh, it's a section that I want to keep in the show, but it's a section that is difficult to make work potentially. Sure. And you never go to the website. That's good because I keep forgetting to put Keon science fiction stuff on the website. So that's good because it means you wouldn't even know that. Although I think like about six months ago, we were like, yeah, 2018, we're going to, you know, revamp the website and stuff. Cause it, it looks kind of outdated at this point, but that's actually a lot of work. And it's a lot of work. And I meant to do it to coincide with us reaching the 11th doctor and trust your doctor. But then I just didn't think about it. Honestly, I completely forgot to do it. Yeah. I mean, oh, well, but like, at some point, I'll revamp the website and make yeah. it look less like it was built in 1996. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh, the other thing is you don't actually have to go to our website to get our show notes. If you're listening on iTunes, and I know Google Play as well, you can just open up the description of the episode, and the show notes appear in the description of the episode. But so. without the clickable links, that's the thing, because a lot of the time I'll link something. I've been trying not to do this lately, uh, they're but typically, I'll link, they're like, typically click here. still linkable, as far as I know. Last time I checked, they still work, huh. at least in iTunes. Give right, me, like, right. uno momento, por favor, good dear listener, while I double-check this. Because I always thought that the links were still clickable in iTunes. Uh, yeah, they are. They're oh, still clickable. Okay, good. So the show notes appear in iTunes. The expanded description. Right. You just have to click the little thing and go, view full description, and then it'll pop up and... Um, but you probably have to click that anyway to find out what the episode is because we don't put the title of the episode in our titles. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. But yeah, thanks for the suggestions. Uh, I know it seems like we basically just said like, no, nah, we're not going to do any of that, but we're, we'll, we're we'll think about it. like, we're considering how to improve all these things. Right. And if you would like to email us, dear listener, you can reach us at thedoctordecadivegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry bands, love letters, your thoughts on... Colin Baker appearing in Blake 7. You can find Unless us... Unless they're negative. <laughs> no, no, negative no, no, I'm kidding. no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You can find us on YouTube at Decadive Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith at Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching The Children of Oran. But until then, the end. <laughs>